Welcome back, everyone. I'm with John Langan, a horror writer who has some uh, very interesting things to say in that in that field. Uh, John, why don't you let's get started? If you could tell the audience, uh, you know, kind of what what you, what the, you know sort of the sort of things you write about, and then just give us a brief backstory of where you're from, what you do, et cetera, and we'll get started from there. Okay, sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. First off, uh, hi everybody. Um, if you don't know me, my name is John Langan. Uh, I write uh, what I call Stephen King stuff. When I started off, I used to say I'm a horror writer, um, and uh, very, very sort of self righteously. And I noticed that you know when I said that, people's eyes you sort of see the shutters come down. Um, and then I started to say ah, I write I write ghost stories, which got a slightly better reaction but at the same time wasn't quite accurate you know and so I finally settled on Stephen King stuff because everybody knows who Stephen King is and he's one of the major influences on my own writing um, one, of, one of the kind of primary influences on my own writing and uh, and he's a good enough uh, or an accurate enough I guess I should say uh, sort of uh, touchstone for uh, uh, for me to, to use and to help people understand what I'm doing so yeah I, I write um, primarily stories. I've written a couple of novels. My novels are called House of Windows and The Fisherman. Um, and I have uh, somewhere around 70 stories uh, or, or thereabouts at this point, which have been uh, uh, published in, in uh, four collections, soon to be five collections. Uh, my fifth collect collection, Corpse Mouth and Other Autobiographies, will be out in May. Um, and uh, I've won a couple of awards, the Bram Stoker Award for The Fisherman um, and um, uh, the This Is Horror Award for The Fisherman, and, uh, and then also for uh, my third collection, which is called Sephira uh, and Other Betrayals. So I, I suppose I see myself in, in some ways as, as part of that uh, American weird tradition that embraces, um, on, on the one hand, um, as, and I'm thinking about King here as, as a touchstone, yeah. but, but maybe more so Peter Straub, which on the one hand embraces a kind of like domestic realism, you know, this is how we live now, with you know some kind of crazy supernatural stuff um or maybe just crazy um because it's not always supernatural sometimes it's kind of science fictional or psychological or or what have you um as to why you know why do you write this weird stuff right uh you know i um like i can tell you actually like the sort of beginning point you know which which was reading king's christine my freshman year in high school i had read cujo the previous summer and the reason i'd read king was that the um it was a girl I went to grade school with and she was this big Stephen King fan. And I got curious. I was like, oh, I wonder what's, you know, what's up with this guy. So I read Cujo and it didn't really make much of an impression on me, but for some reason, when Christine came out in paperback, I decided to give that a try. And, uh, and man, that was it. That was just the sort of, uh, you know, Saul on the road to Damascus. That was just the moment of boom, this is what I need to do with the rest of my life. And, um, you know, where that comes from, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, I uh, you know, when I was uh, two and a half, I had a, a little piece of uh, metal in my right eye um, in the cornea. It's for adults. It's it's in office surgery, but for kids, it's uh, it's like it's you have to get knocked out and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, 
And I found out many years later, obviously, that uh, both Bram Stoker and Thomas Ligotti had had similar, like, like not eye things, but surgery when they were like two and, and or, or thereabouts. And, and it made me wonder, ah, you know, does it have something to do with having had an experience, like a sort of horrifying experience when you're too young to process it? And in, in some way, it kind of shapes your resultant worldview. Um, but that's, um, it sounds too reductive in a way, you know, it's, it's really cool, right? It's, it's a way yeah. to say, ah, that's the solution to the problem. But uh, as from sort of artistic standpoint, you're like, wow, so all of this is a piece of metal in my eye. It doesn't sound like that's, that's quite enough somehow. So um, yeah, it speaks to me in, in a way, I suppose, that, um, that, that say, um, fantasy that, that that's either just sort of like say you know up dikey and uh realism or, or social realism or um uh, you know george rr R. martin song of ice and fire uh outright fantasy doesn't i mean i love both of those things and i'm yeah. not you know it's not a knock on it but for me it's the place where they they meet where they converge that's what's really interesting that's where things get really exciting um you can um I sometimes will will think about, oh, I'd like to write a story about some mundane thing. And it just doesn't really, you know, doesn't really spark my imagination. And and as it were, I'm like, but if there were a zombie in it, and then, you know, suddenly, suddenly things take off. So, it, so let's talk about The Fisherman. So an amazing, an amazing book, by the way, like where the heck did that come from? <laughs> like with the um, Rumpelstiltskin-like character, like, it, Char it, not character, but story that's kind of embedded, and then the longer narrative around that. Like, where did that come from? Well, the the fisherman came from. Um, I actually, I mean, it came from a time in my life when I was trying to write a story a year. When when I started writing and publishing, um, I was really afraid that I wouldn't have enough ideas. Um, and uh, you know, I would read about people like Neil Gaiman saying. Uh, you know, if I, if I, like, I'll, I'll never run out of ideas until I die. And I would feel so insanely jealous. So when I published my first professional, uh, professional uh, story, professionally published story, I thought to myself, okay, um, I want to keep doing this. And if I can just do one a year, like, I think I can manage that. And so this was a story that was just going to be a story. Um, the, the, um, I had, I had published three stories already and, um, and I was like, okay, when, when the, um, when the third story was accepted for publication, I started writing the fourth story and that fourth story just grew and grew and grew. And I, I was like, oh my God, I'm writing a novel. And then I freaked myself out about that too. And was like, okay, I better, um, I better back off this. I'm not ready for a novel. Um, and so, but, you know, over the course of like 12 years, I just kept coming back to it and back to it and back to it and filling it in and a little bit more. And then I'd get an idea from some other place. And then I'd be writing another story and I would think, oh, wait, I could make a connection here. Um, and yeah, so, so it took a, it took a long, long time to, to write, um, but, you know, 12 years, not, not 12 years of, of like Tolstoy day in and day out at the writing table, but, you know, sort of a, a process of, of uh, returning to it every now and again and uh, and then seeing what the next part of it could be. And when you said you, you said you started it after you sold your third story, let's talk a little bit about that because there's a lot of new writers who may be listening to this uh, you know video. Where 
where, like how long did it take for you to get that first story published? Um, and then like, what was it? What was that first story? Was it at a professional publication? What are the details around, around sure. that? Sure. I, I, um, I had published stuff in my school, uh, my college literary magazine uh, in my late teens, early 20s, right, when I was an undergrad. And then um, for most of my 20s, um, I, uh, I, I wrote a novel, I wrote, I, wrote, I wrote a really long novel, I wrote a shorter novel, I wrote some, some long stories. Um, but I never, I, you know, I just, I wrote them. I, I, I never did anything with them. I never, I, I handwrite everything. So I literally wrote them and then just set them aside. But then in my uh, kind of mid to late twenties, I started trying to publish some short, uh, very short kind of realist stories. And I sent them to, um, uh, in journals, I, I guess, not not really professional magazines, um, but uh, things like the Ontario Review, say, or uh, mm -hmm. Zoe Trope stories. And, um, and everything got rejected, although I, I didn't realize at the time that I think it was Zoe Trope in particular actually sent me back some very encouraging rejections. But, you know, at the time, I was just like, ah, they rejected me. Um, I didn't, I didn't have the the sort of patience i guess or or i wasn't calm enough to look at it and say well hang on a second they want to see more stuff by you this this could be leading somewhere and um and the thing is the stories were okay as stories emotionally when i look at them now i see that emotionally they were dealing with the material of horror mm -hmm. but without fully embracing that without going in all that uh uh the, the full distance i guess so um so after that, I wrote a story. I was in graduate school um, for my PhD, which I never finished. Um, and one of my classes gave you the option to write a story uh, for the final project. So I did that. That probably took me about a month um, and uh, maybe a little bit longer. And then I was like, oh, man, I want to, you know, I think I'd like to try to publish this. And, um, and my inclination was to find like the safest venue I could, like like to look at the the you know the easiest venue to get into, and um, my wife, who was uh, actually at that point she she had she finished her PhD she had finished her PhD no she hadn't no she had okay she had finished her PhD at that point she went to Penn State and her professors had told her when you have an article to publish you make a list of, of like the top 10 publications that, that that article could appear in. And you start at the very top and then you work your way down. And this way, okay, maybe you don't get in at the top, but if you get in at like number nine, let's say, even number 10, that's still gonna be higher than what you were probably looking at to, to begin with. So, um, so I had this story that was a, a novelette called On Skua Island and, um, and the only magazine that I could find was a magazine of fantasy and science fiction. That was the only one that, that would accept something of that length. So um, this was the uh, the old days when you put things in envelopes and, you know, had a cover letter and that sort of stuff. And so, uh, so yeah, so I sent the story off to them. And I'd say within maybe a month, maybe a little bit less than a month, um, I got a check in the mail. No, no, no letter, no, just a check in the mail. And I was like, I don't know what this means. <laughs> that was your first submission to the yeah, magazine? Yeah. And, um, but my first submission after having been writing for, I mean, in a way, since I was a teenager, you know, like, like on the one hand, it seems like, oh my God. But on the other hand, when I, when I think, yeah, but you know, I was, 
I was seriously, after I read Christine, right, my freshman year of high school, I started writing. And in a way, I didn't stop. Um, and as I said, you know, there were those long things I wrote in my 20s. So by the time I got to, to, to that moment, I had been writing, you know, somewhere in the order of like 16 or 17 years. So that yeah. the, um, it was, don't get me wrong, it was still a home run. I mean, there's no, you know, <laughs> I, I was, um, and, um, and that, yeah, um, the editor just really liked it because it was kind of, it, it was kind of different um from from what he was used to and uh so yeah he gave me the cover illustration um and it got good reviews and it was nominated for an award uh which it didn't win and which i'm at the time i was kind of frustrated because you're always frustrated when you don't win an award but in retrospect i'm like oh thank god i didn't because i think if i had i would have been like well i'm done you know i i got this sort of major publication i got money i got good reviews i got an award what more do i need um but that, you know, um, after that story was um, after that story was finished, I, I just started trying to work on the next one. But but with an eye towards um, towards having that um, having that submitted before, because it takes about a year for your stories to come out uh, in print publications. Uh, it probably does even in the major online publications. So I wanted to have something in the mail to those guys before the first story appeared. Um, and cause I, I guess I was, I figured either way, like if the, if when the, when Onskua Island appeared, either I, I was like, you know, thinking very, um, either it's gonna be great, or everybody's gonna love it or they're gonna hate it. And either way, I wanted the next story to be in so that oh, that yeah. wasn't interfering with my, uh, with my I, head. And, I, I do the same thing with anthologies, right? Yeah. Like I, I had, I had no idea how successful this like weird world war three would be no idea. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, as soon as I could, I sent in another pitch yeah. and then, and, and you know, I, and you just, you just have to, cause you never, you never know if something's going to be successful or not, but I got lucky. Now yeah. the, the toughest thing is when somebody is successful very early yes. and then, and then they get a rejection. Like, yes. Uh, how do you, uh, how do you talk people through, through that one? Well, I, I've, you know, I, I used to say, um, I used to teach college, college creative writing. And, and one of the things I would say to my students is we spend a lot of time preparing you for failure, but we don't spend much time preparing you for success. And success can, can be as crippling as, as failure. You know, if, if you, if you send your story and it gets rejected, well, you know, that's what, of course, everybody gets rejected, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, if you, if you're successful though, we don't teach you about that. And then of course the thing with success, um, if, if you have a string of successes and then you hit that first failure, or if you have one success and then you have a string of failures or, and here's the thing, it's not a failure. It's just, you didn't place your story, you know, like, like failure is, is, um, I don't even know what failure would be by not trying, I guess, would be, would be failing, not, not, not giving it your best shot. Um, you yeah, know, you're not going to succeed if you don't try. Yeah. And, and it's just a genius, as Henry James said, does not require perfection. Um, so, so that you don't, you don't have to make it perfect. You just have to make it the best you can make it and, and off it goes. So um, if you, but let's say you, you've been accepted, 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 and then, and then rejected. Um, I think uh, you send it to the next place. That's uh, you, you find the next place to send it to and, and the next place after that and the next place after that. And you keep working on whatever the next story is. I, I think that's the, um, 
and it's difficult to do, I, I think, um, or maybe early on, it's, it's difficult not to put all your eggs in that one basket and think, this is my, this is it, this is going to be the story. I mean, it may be, but even if it is the story, it could take 18 months to reach publication, depending. So what are you going to do in the meantime? Are you going to like just sort of sit around for 18 months? I mean, that's, that's writing time that you could be, you could be doing something with. So I would say, um, if, if, you know, you, you're, whatever your dream market was or, or whatever project you were submitting this story for uh, rejects the story, that's okay. Just, just turn around, send it someplace else and then start working on the next story. Easier said than done, I know. But if you want to persist, if you want to keep going, this is, these are the kinds of skills that you have to, you have to work on developing. Yeah, you have to be, you have to A, love it, and then B, be stubborn as a mule. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I, I, I think that um, there are lots of other ways um, to spend your time. Um, and uh, um, if you, um, you know, there's a, there's a great line at the beginning of, uh, of Moby Dick where Ishmael says something to the effect of, whenever I find myself getting really just sort of irritated and irritable and such, that's when I know it's time to go to sea. And I, I think about that for myself with writing, that, that if I if I find myself just becoming really sort of crabby, I'm like, oh, have I been writing recently? Nah, I've been doing other things. Ah, oh, I really need to get to writing. So, um, so yeah, if, if that's, that's kind of my view of, of what it takes um, to, to persist as a, as a writer, you know, it's not to say that you can't write one story and publish it. Sure. Lots of people do that. But if, if you want to keep on, uh, keep on keeping on, then you're going to need some kind of something inside, some kind of internal drive. Now let's change gears a little bit. You talked very briefly about Stephen King being in, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but your primary influence. Sure. What other writers have influenced you? And, and, and looking at your own writing, you know, if so, if you put yourself into the position of an outsider, what influences would they see? Um, I think they would probably see King and probably Peter Straub. Um, I, I think they would find, uh, they would find the two of them there. Um, I, uh, I've been, you know, I think what's interesting is, is that when I look at my own life, like I remember reading uh, Robert E. Howard in fifth grade math class, uh, apologies, Sister <laughs> Anne, and, um, and, and, and Howard's stories um, really did have a powerful early influence on me in a way that say Lovecraft's didn't. I came to Lovecraft much later and I really respect his achievement, but, um, and I think it's really cool, but I don't, it doesn't engage me at that same kind of primary sort of gut, gut level. So, so, you know, I think about someone like Howard, um, I, I think about King, I think about Straub, um, a little bit uh, um, later on, people like Henry James and Dickens, um, I, and I suppose someone might, depending on what story you were reading, you might see those guys because sometimes, depending on the story I'm writing, um, I like really elaborate prose, and so you might be like, "Oh, right, I can sort of see where the where the Henry James is there," but I, I kind of feel. Um, 
surprised sometimes. You know, people will say, oh, yeah, I see a lot of Aikman in you. And I'll think, well, I haven't really read a lot of Aikman, but but thanks for the compliment. Um, and and that, uh, that's kind of fascinating to me. You know, I, when I was a kid, I mean, I read a lot of comic books. Um, this was the great Marvel age of the 70s when Stan Lee was still writing some, but it was mostly like Roy Thomas and, and Marv Wolfman and Len Wein. And, um, and those guys had a huge, huge impact on, on me in, in ways, you know, their, their kind of love of melodrama of um, um, sort of family situations and, and complications and difficulties for the heroes. I think that's still in the in the background of uh, of my my kind of artistic consciousness. And you know, as you kind of think about some of the themes that you write about, what would you you know what would you say kind of your most common themes? Um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I mean, I know is such a cop out kind of answer. You know, it, it's I'm really. Um, well, it's not an easy question. It seems like it's a, it's a simple question, but it's easier to find themes in other people's work. It's harder to find themes in your own because you're you're caught in you're you're caught in the the work of it. But um, but sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, not at all. I, I I think that's absolutely true. And and there were times. So when I published my third collection, which is called Safira and Other Betrayals, I had a group of stories. Uh, I, I was looking to put together my third collection and I had a group of stories and I realized that like about eight of those stories were all about betrayal. I had written them over a relatively short span of time and in various ways, they all dealt with betrayal. And I had a couple of stories that I had that, that I had in the works and I was like, oh man, those two stories are also about betrayal. They would fit. So like at that particular point in time, I was like, okay, I'm really, I'm, you know, really interested in betrayal here. So, all right. Um, the, the collection after that, uh, my most recent collection, Children of the Fang, um, I called it genealogies because all the story that was a subtitle and other genealogies, um, all the stories there had been written for tribute anthologies or most of them had for to different mm -hmm. writers. And I was like, ha, huh. so it seemed to me that like I was kind of working out a, without meaning to like a kind of loose family tree. But I, I think that those, you know, you, you probably could have, um, switched those subtitles and you probably could have had Sephira and other genealogies, Children of the Fang and other betrayals. And either right. of those lenses would probably fit, I think, to, to, uh, as a way to view what was going on in those stories. The, uh, my, my newest, my forthcoming collection is, is the, it makes very strong use of autobiographical elements. Um, and I'm sure there's something there too that I was working that I was working through. I guess a lot of my creative process involves trusting my own subconscious or or um, unconscious. I guess I, I or, or, uh, or the voices in your head wherever. Yeah, they yeah. Make them. <laughs> That's right. Well, D. H. Lawrence famously said, um, in trying to describe himself, he said uh, something to the effect of "of myself is uh, is like a little fire in a in a clearing, surrounded by a a dark forest, and and from that forest, strange gods come and go." And I've always loved that. Uh, I've always loved that description. Um, mine tends to be more of like I think that that my consciousness is sort of like a like a skyscraper or something and, and that like where I live is like the penthouse on the top or that's where my consciousness is and then all the layers down all the levels down to the basement to the sub-basement to the caves underneath that's where all sorts of different things are happening different memories um I, I think that's probably where my kind of creative unconscious is is 
working. There's probably several floors where, where things are getting passed up and passed down. And then eventually they might be put on the elevator and brought up to the top. And, uh, you know, hey, boss, we heard you were looking for this idea. Look, it, it's here. We've got it right here. So that's kind of how I, I think and, and, and I, uh, or how I conceive it, I guess. And I try to allow at this point in my life, I guess, I try to allow that stuff to happen. I just, just to have a, a sort of faith that it will, that it will happen. That not only now, that, it will happen, that it is happening. Now, which, which writers do you enjoy reading today? Oh my goodness. There's so Con, many. Sorry, contemporary. Oh, sorry. Let me, let me be clear. Living writers who yes, are writing today. Yes. Right? L- living or at least partially. Um, right. <laughs> I mean, my, you know, I'm good friends with, with Laird Barron, with Paul Tremblay, uh, with Stephen Graham Jones, uh, Sarah Langan, uh, Glenn Hirschberg, Nathan Ballingrid, Livia Llewellyn, Victor Laval. Um, I, I see us all, um, and I'm sure there's one or two others in there too, that, that I see us all as, as you know, we're all of roughly the same generation. And there's a really interesting, a lot of us are sort of children of Stephen King, you know, and, and Peter mm-hmm. Straub. We all read those guys coming up and and now we're doing our, our different things. Um, beyond um, beyond those guys, um, Nadia Balkin, um, uh, Grady Hendrix, um, Grady will never forgive me if I, if I forget his name. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, Erika Satifka, uh, Satifka, Satifka, whom I met. Satifka, uh, yeah. Satifka, yeah, yeah, yeah. Through, I, I, I ran into her work through World, uh, Weird World War Three. She's um, great, isn't she? She's, she's really terrific. Um, AC Wise, um, who's uh, uh, who has a new collection out from uh, Undertow Press that's just terrific. Um, there's really uh, Gemma Files. I don't know if I mentioned her already, but if not, she's worth, even if I did, she's worth mentioning again. So that there's just this astonishing group of writers at work right now. Um, and th- there's no, like, I feel like there's no shortage of, of stuff for me to read. Even if I were just to confine myself to that group of about a dozen, 14 writers, um, they've, they've all like, like, you know, among the lot of them, they produced so much great stuff that, that I'm not going to run out of stuff to read anytime soon. Now you have a story in Weird World War Three, and a story in Weird World War Four. The story in Weird World War Four is a play. It is. How did that happen? Um. So, I had a few years ago. I wrote a story. Uh, it was actually like a like a private. So it was a story for a friend, and it was a kind of riff on Peter Pan. Uh, Peter Pan meets Heart of Darkness, um, and it was uh, it was eventually published. And then a few years after that, I wrote another story that was like a sort of Alice in Wonderland riff. It was sort of like Alice in Wonderland meets Brexit. And then um, when I was thinking about the weird World War Four thing, I, I was thinking about um, like like those sorts of children's stories. And I was thinking about T.H. Uh, White, uh, the Once and Future King, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the King Arthur story, and I've always wanted to do something with the King Arthur story. Um, I remember as a kid being astonished to find out that John Steinbeck, when he died, he was working on a translation of, uh, 
uh, of La Morte d'Arthur, uh, which has been published, The Acts of King Arthur right. and His Noble Knights. And um, so I thought, oh, maybe I'll do like an Arthur kind of thing. Maybe I'll, because of course, the thing with Arthur, right, is he's supposed to return at the at the end, some kind of end times, right, in the time of, of great crisis. But so are a bunch of other heroes, you know, Charlemagne, uh, uh, Frederick Barbarossa, Ogier the Dane. Um, and so it, it seemed like there was something, you know, kind of worth doing there. And, um, and I, I, for whatever reason, I just, um, every now and again, I'll try to mix things up structure wise and in, in what I'm writing. And, um, and I had not written, I've only written two things in, in kind of play form. Um, one is an old story called How the Day Runs Down, which uh, um, is like uh, Thornton Wilder's Our Town with Zombies. And then another very tiny story um, that was an afterword to a deluxe edition of, of my second collection. So, um, so I thought that like a, um, a play was not something that I had done to death. And I guess I, I had in mind too, um, I was thinking about uh, traveling players. It's, it's interesting that um, is it Station Eleven is about the, uh, the group of traveling players and the kind of post-apocalyptic landscape. So, on, and I hadn't read that or seen that, but in, in some weird way, anyway, I like that idea of, of um, you're watching this, you're watching this play and maybe you're in the play too. I, I love that when you can sort of collapse those, uh, those distances, mm -hmm. but also it, it puts a lot of, um, I think what I like about, about that format is the way that it puts so much pressure really on the dialogue what you know th that you uh you have to the, the characters have to express themselves almost only through the through the dialogue and so it, it seemed like an interesting kind of challenge too yeah it was definitely an interesting story and then your weird world war three story was one of my favorites just just from the sheer imagery of it just really quick uh like kind of a I wouldn't say a summary, but if you could give listeners a tease on what that story is, is about. Uh, secret moon bases. Uh, we had one and the Soviets had them. And when the big hot one went up in 1983 after Operation Abel Archer turned hot, uh, we found out that there were evil space lobsters up there as well. From... Lovecraftian. From origin. oh yeah 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 the the funny yeah. thing is I actually thought that uh, for some reason I had it in mind that that the anthology had requested that there was a, there was a, a supposed to be a Lovecraftian element in it like I I, I misread it but that no 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 you didn't you, you didn't misread it at all like oh really okay yeah, some some people just interpreted it a lot more liberally than oh okay so I okay did. so no, no so you were I, right you were right on the money right on I the just, money I thought about the the Migo and uh um and I thought okay what can you do with uh with the Migo and and that uh yeah that tied in to um to other stuff I I um Many years ago, uh, John Joseph Adams had edited an anthology called Power Armor, and I'd had this idea for a story about these guys who were like sort of um, like Heinlein starship troopers, you know, mm -hmm. like in the mecha suits or whatever, fighting Lovecraftian entities, and they were swapping out parts of their suits for bits of the Lovecraftian entities' uh, armor, you know, uh, and it just yeah. never... It, it never became anything more than just like a video game, you know, in, in my head, but, but that made its way ultimately into this, into this story. Yeah. That was extremely creative. And I, and I love that element. It was with the cat, right? The, the cat, the cat. All right. Well, last, last question. If people want to find you, where can they go? And then what, 
projects and books. So what books should they check out? And then what projects are you working on? That's like three questions all bundled into one. Sure. So they can, uh, they can, I'm on, uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um, I, uh, I think if they wanted to check something out, they, the fishermen, people seem to, to like that. That's so it's a novel. That's a good place to start. Um, Children of the Fang, as uh, as far as collections go, is probably my most diverse collection. I, I, I really wanted a collection that had like a lot of different things in it. So either of those would be uh, would be good starting points in terms of what's coming out next. Um, Book wise, my very first collection, uh, Mr. Gaunt's and other uneasy encounters is being reissued. Uh, I'm just putting the finishing touches actually as this morning on uh, a new story that will be part of it. So that should be out within like a month to six weeks. And then um, my next original, you know, fully or, or fully new collection, uh, Corpse Mouth and other autobiographies will be out in May. I'll have novellas forthcoming in John Taft's uh, Dark Stars, uh, which should be out again within about like a month and a half, and another one in Ellen Datlow's uh, Big Monster book, which I think is coming out in June, although the date on that may have been pushed back a little bit. Um, and, um, and a story in Weird World War Four, Which comes out May, uh, March 1st. Yeah. About a week, actually. All right. Um, the, there's one thing you mentioned um, as a kind of a teaser. So you mentioned Frederick Barbarossa. Mm -hmm. There is there is a tie uh, from Frederick Barbarossa to our next topic, and uh, we'll explain it. <laughs> we'll explain it in the next, uh, or we'll talk about it in, in the, the next, next episode. So uh, thank you everyone for joining us, and uh, please do check out the next episode when as when it is finally revealed. And uh, see you soon, John. See you soon, John. Thanks.